Nachyomi for the Orthodox Union, Chapter 12, Rabbi Bini Marilis. In Chapter 12, we get the summary discussion of all of the capturings that take place at the hands of the Jewish people, beginning with Moshe Rabbeinu, going through Yahushua. And then at the same time, we get a full-on list of all of the kings that have been destroyed in the course of the battle. There's essentially three matters to point out. Point number one is the significance of the fact that it does begin with respect to the capturings and the destruction that took place at the hands of Moshe Rabbeinu and the Jewish people before they crossed the yard. And that's significant. That's part and parcel of Kibush Haaretz, it sounds and it seems. And it's part and parcel of Hanchalas Haaretz, of the giving and the inheritance of the land itself and the splicing up of the different locations for the tribes. Point two is the list of all of the different kings that appear in the text as to the fact that some of them we hadn't mentioned before and hadn't seen before. So the Gaon of Vilna and his parish on Yahushua explains away how those are and who they are in fact. And in fact, he then goes through the list to describe how we come to essentially 31 milachim, 31 kings. Point three, the largest point is essentially what's the value in listing out all of these different pieces? What are we gaining from something like this? Why does the the Navi have to teach us this? And here, we have a very important overall point with respect to the Navi. The Navi is not simply coming to tell us stories. But in fact, there is meaning attached to each and every one of the stories. And there are misarim liyamenu. There are messages and ideas that are in there for the sake of us to learn and to understand and that we have to realize that they're not simply as a list but rather that that there is a lesson to be learned here. Perhaps the lesson of the list is understood from the notion of the following idea. And this pointed out by some of the commentaries here as well. The realization of the full analysis of all of the capturing and battling and destruction over the course of really what amounts to seven years, although it's a few prakim, it's really seven years long, is ma- it's massive. It's huge. And there may have been a notion, and there was a notion back in the day, that this could not possibly be accomplished. That the Jewish people, essentially then God, could not do this. Remember the, the, the Miraglim in Pasha Shlach? We can't do this. We can't destroy these nations. We can't defeat them. They're bigger than us. They're stronger than us. Their cities are powerful. And in fact, as the Perak delineates, they destroyed each one. Perhaps it teaches us a secondary lesson that's more personal, that if we focus always on the largest picture of it, it can seem daunting and almost impossible as a task. But if we focus on each one, piece by piece, point by point, as it leads up to the full completion and success in a mission or in a task, then it is doable. Perhaps that's the explanation when the verses tell us at the end of the different texts, echad, 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 that's one, 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 so on and so forth, 
that each one was an individual person, an individual nation, an individual city, and that each one is a piece of that larger puzzle, and each one needs to be focused on as it were and when it was, and then the full spectrum of the accomplishment can be viewed and understood at the end. Parakid Beis begins. It begins by describing the land on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And this essentially, as the Malbim points out, plays out part of what appears at the end of Perakud Aleph. The end of Perakud Aleph told us, Yeshua takes the entirety of the land just like God had commanded and spoke to Moshe. It essentially says three things there. First, Yeshua took the land. Secondly, he gives it to the tribes. And third, that the land was quiet. So the land is obviously quiet by virtue of the fact that there are no more wars to be fought at the moment. It's also the truth that Yeshua took all of the land and he's going to give it to the different tribes. Those factors play out over the coming chapters. The giving to the different tribes, the land being quiet, Yeshua just having captured all the land in the previous chapters. And now in, your, in, in, in Yudbeis, it simply just summarizes uh, that first point of Ayikach Yoshua, that Yoshua had taken the land just like God had told Moshe. So we begin on the eastern side. Sichon Melech Amariha Bechesbon. We begin with Sichon, story that's told to us in the Torah. Moshe me Aroer Asher Osfas Nachal Arnon. Describing and defining out the land of Sichon Melech Amori, who sat in a place called Cheshbon. Cheshbon was his capital city. And he covered a very large swath of land on that side. Describing out all of the locations of Sichon in that area, if you want to go north to south for, an, for a western border, it would essentially go from the Kinarot area, right, to the south, to the Yamamelech area. Now moving on to Og. That Og was in another area. This is further north, obviously, the Har Chermon, into the Chermon area. So Og and Sichon shared a border in the area of the Gilad, which essentially now got the, Torah, the, the Navi tells us were given to the two tribes. Moshe, the servant of God, reinforcing that notion, and the Jewish people beat them. Moshe then gives it to the two and a half tribes. Again, that's part of the land. The Datsofim writes in verse 7, Sikum Kivusha Yehoshua. Beginning in verse 7, 
is the beginning of the discussions of what Yahushua captured. But all that happens before this is part of the process, and it's Tohar Hadavar. It's Metahir, what took place, and it's Metahir, the fact, it purifies the fact that these are, in fact, in a sense, part of the Yerusha of the Jews. Yeshua, of course, is going to then go and do that in the following set of prakir. <coughs> All the different areas and locations, the different border sections that, that were part of his capturing to the east, to the west, to the north, and to the south. He lists off two, and now we're going to get a full list. The king of Yerushalayim one. Melech Shimron, Miraon Echad, Melech Achshav Echad, Melech Ta'anach Echad, Melech Megiddo Echad, Melech Kedesh Echad, Melech Yaknaom La Carmel Echad, Melech Dor Linafas Dor Echad, Melech Goyim La Gilgal Echad, Melech Tirza Echad, Kol Melechim Shoshim Ve'echad. In a very quick parak again, essentially, by virtue of listing out all the different areas and all the different cities and all the different locations, one after another after another, and a list and a list and a list, perhaps we can say is the fulfillment of the verse in Tehillim in chapter 135, Kuflam et He. Right? We say, right? That's what that is. There's Halal and Shevach in listing them out. There is the notion, there's a notion of Praise to God by virtue of listing them as they are. Again, one and each one individual, of course, is significantly crucial as a battle, as a victory. And and the conglomerate of all of the captures and all of the destructions and all of the cities is the great Halalah Hashem. The notion of praising God for all that He has done for us, all that He continues to do for us. Right? That a Kaddosh Baruch Hu does great, miraculous, and incredible things for the Jewish people fights for them, stands for them, is with them in every in every way, in every battle. And so by listing out all of the kings, north, south, east, and west, in every locale, in every location, in every part of the land that is captured, we get that sense. Understand the fulfillment of the promise to Avram Avinu, right, about the land itself and his children inheriting the land, the promises and the, and, and, and the discussions with Moshe Rabbeinu, and the fulfillment at the hands of Yehoshua. We'll continue tomorrow with chapter 13, Perak Yud Gimel.